0: All right, all right, all right. Um, let's see. Who has an awesome dream or a weird dream that they want to share? Katie was like the first one to raise her hand. So wait, 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 wait for the mic to come to you. That's loud
1: enough. Okay. Hi. Hi. Okay.
0: Mike, check it. I don't think it's
1: working. Check, it. check. Oh, hi. <laughs> so this happened last week. This is a recurring nightmare. So Scooby-Doo kidnapped me. Oh! Put me in the mystery van. It's not like his crew kidnapped me. It's Scooby-Doo the dog.
0: Were you scared of him driving you around? Like he didn't know how to drive?
1: (laughs) So, okay. So then, like, later on in the dream, like, we're in, like, we're just chilling. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this dog kidnapped me. And he, like, gave me peanut butter. I'm allergic to peanut butter. Oh. And, like, he's like, you have to eat this because, like, I wouldn't kill you. And I was like, oh, oh my God, this my dog gosh. wants to kill me. So, like, he force fed me peanut butter, and I died.
0: Oh. <laughs> Man. That's a crazy dream.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Um, can we get a? Yes, right here. Bring it, Andy. Bring it. There you go.
1: Hi, I'm Holly. Um, I used to be in the marching band in high school. Yay. <laughs> so, um, and our our band would like take trips to different places, and we never did a cruise, but for some reason, like in my dream, we were going on to a cruise ship, and a T Rex followed us on. Ooh. And I think I had just watched like a, Jurassic Park where yeah. they had the T Rex like cap, like, on the, like boat. On the yeah. boat. So it was downstairs, and they were like, oh, everybody upstairs. So we all go upstairs, and they're like, well, the T Rex is stuck down there, so you guys can still enjoy yourselves. So, <laughs> so uh, then we went to a smoothie place, and I dropped my pet ladybug in my smoothie. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's basically it. Oh, I felt man. horrible.
0: <laughs> Did you drink the smoothie?
1: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, I don't know. I In my dream, I was like, did I drink it or not? I couldn't tell if I drank the ladybug. So I was digging oh, around man. my smoothie for the ladybug.
0: I had a dream kind of like that, where we were on like a cruise ship, except E.T. was chasing me. <laughs> like with his finger. He was like running around with his finger like that, like trying to, trying to touch me. Uh, <laughs> Hojin, people are pointing at Hojin. <clears throat>
2: he had a dream about... Cr- Go on a cream barbecue with me. So Chris and I were hanging out, and we we're best friends. <laughs> okay, so I, I, too, was on a cruise ship, and I don't scary. know why. I was just hanging out on a cruise ship, and uh, I'm going up to the ramp, and I know there's food up there because I'm hungry, and so up on the ramp, I see Kirsten Dunst, and she's on the floor in a giant flowing... Let's keep it PG, victor- PG. It's PG. It's okay. PG. It's Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> And she's in a giant, puffy Victorian dress, and she's crying. And I go up to her and say, are you all right? What's wrong? And she's still crying. And in front of her is a giant bowl of Chinese chicken salad. And I go, do you need some help? And she says, yes. So I look in my back pocket, because I remember I had a spoon in there. So I take the spoon out, and I give it to her. And she goes, thank you. And she takes the spoon and starts digging through, not even eating it. just digging through the salad, right? And then the bottom of the salad is a doorknob, like just straight up ripped off the wall. And so she puts her thumbs into it and flips it inside out and it turns into a hard-boiled egg. <laughs> oh, gosh. And then she says, if you drink this, you will not be drinking the blood of your enemies.
0: And oh, I take it gosh. and
2: I bite into it and blood spills out of it. And oh, go.
0: man. Crazy. <clears throat> that is crazy. All right. So I think we got... We all got a little bit closer tonight, shared our hopes and our dreams with each other. Um, Maybe you can do that in life group too. Uh, All right, so um, tonight we are going to be looking at a story in the book of Daniel where King Nebuchadnezzar has this really weird dream uh, and he asks people, he asks uh, someone to interpret it, but there's sort of a catch with the dream uh, and we'll see that play out in the story tonight. So uh, let me go ahead and pray before we start. Father God, uh, I just thank you that we can come and be uh, here just listening to your word, listening to what you have to say to us uh, through this book uh, in the Old Testament, Lord. uh, I pray that your spirit would speak directly to us, God, that our hearts would be open to whatever it is that you have to say to us, God, that you'd be challenging us in places where we need to be challenged, Lord, um, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, Lord. um, I I just ask in this moment that we would be... Uh, open and attentive uh, to your voice. Uh, I just pray against anything that might distract or get in the way. Lord, I pray um, that your name would be lifted up high uh, above everything else in this message tonight. Praise in Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> All right. So, if you guys are new or you've been here forever, my name is Chris Woznicki. You can call me Chris or Chris. Duh! You can call me by my name, or you can call me Waz. Uh, I'm on staff here. And over the last few weeks, we've been uh, in a series in the book of Daniel called Exile, and we've basically been seeing how Daniel and his friends they find themselves living in exile. They find themselves in this strange land with a different culture. People speak a different language. Everything that they're used to is now gone. Right? They're no, they're no longer at home in Jerusalem anymore, and They are in exile, and they're in Babylon. And to make things worse, this land that they live in could care less about their God, could care less about their way of life, could care less about their values and convictions. And the fact is, we are in a situation very much like Daniel and his friends. We also live in a time and place... Where people may watch the same shows, they may w- listen to the same music, uh, they may sit in the same classrooms, but the fact is we're strangers in this land. Much like Daniel and his friends, we're exiles, right? We live in this time and place where people don't really have regard for our God. People could care less about our values uh, and our convictions. Basically, we live in a new Babylon. So the question that the book of Daniel is asking is, how do we stay faithful in the midst of exile? And that's the same exact question we're asking. How do we stay faithful to our identity as God's people in a world that could care less about him? And this series is meant to help you answer that question. So if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Daniel chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Another set of worship set. All right. Um, if you're there, can I get a loud word? Word up. Word. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. All right. And it says In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have a dream. I have had a dream that troubles me. I, I didn't mean that. I read that wrong. I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. So it sort of makes sense for him to ask these guys. These guys, their position is diviners. Uh, Basically, they went to school to learn how to interpret omens, to learn how to interpret dreams, and they would learn how to interpret um, those omens through sheep livers, through through the the alignment of the stars, through um, weather patterns, uh, bones, all that kind of stuff. And basically, that's how they would uh, interpret omens. And it's easy for these guys to think, like, okay, like, he's given me this dream. Like, I can interpret this. I got this. I literally went to school to learn how to do this. Easy. Verse 4. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic O king, live forever. Uh, just a little side note. So, the Bible is written in Hebrew. Old Testament is written in Hebrew. New Testament is written in Greek. But there are also parts in the Old Testament that are written in Aramaic. So, it's not just Hebrew and Greek. There's three languages in the Bible. Anyway, that's just a side note for your own info. Okay, so the astrologers answered him, O king, live forever. Tell your servants a dream and we will interpret it. Pretty simple, right? Like, tell us your dream and we'll tell you what it means. And then Nebuchadnezzar drops a bomb on them. Verse five, the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what the dream was and interpret it, I will c- have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. And you can just imagine these guys when they hear this. It's like, what, like you're going to kill us if we don't know your dream? And if we don't interpret it, and it's kind of, it, I mean, it, it's a threat. It's like, how am I going to know what dream you had last night? Um, verse six, I mean, verse seven. It's, it's kind of funny, they, their jaws just drop. They're like, once more, again, they reply, let the king tell his servant the dream and we will interpret it, right? Just tell us what it was. Like we can't tell you what it meant if we don't know what it was. Verse eight, king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So t- then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret for me. Basically, Nebuchadnezzar is like, no, nah, like my mind's made up. I'm not gonna tell you what it is. And if you don't get it, I'm gonna have your heads. And you sort of kind of realize how ridiculous this is, right? Like if I came up to you and I'm like, hey, I had a dream last night. Um, I don't remember what that actually was, but if you could tell that, to me and tell me what it meant, that would be great. You'd be like, that's, that's crazy. Like nobody can tell you that if you don't even know what it was. Um, cause these guys, like they knew their role. They were diviners. They were astrologers. They, uh, knew how to interpret dreams and omens. They had books that told them like, this is what this dream meant. This is what this sign meant. When you have a dream about this, this is what that means. Um, but the fact is like, if they don't know what the king dreamed about they can't interpret it and that's where daniel is is different like daniel actually takes it a step beyond these guys cuz remember daniel and these guys as we read in chapter 1 they studied in the same school basically they all went to university of babylon they learned how to interpret sheep livers and bone bird bones and all that stuff so he could do exactly what they could but he's actually going to one up them and next week in the next few weeks we're going to see how exactly he does that. So um, the point is, these guys are freaking out. Verse 10, the astrologers answered the king, there is no man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. And then verse 11, and this verse is just so important. Um, This verse is just so good. Uh, And they say, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. No one can interpret, no one can tell somebody else's dream and interpret it except the gods, and these and the gods don't live among men. Now, when Daniel's audience would have heard this, their ears would have just perked up because remember, um, this was their fear. A few weeks ago, we talked about how they had gone into exile, right? How how Babylon had come in, um, sacked Jerusalem, took the king, went into the temple, robbed the items from the temple, and in their eyes, in human eyes, it looked like either God got defeated by the gods of Babylon or that God had abandoned his people, that he left them, and that he no longer lived among them. So when they hear this verse, they're probably thinking like, Yeah, like I remember back when we lived in Jerusalem, God lived among us, but now we're in Babylon. Like God was back there. God isn't right here right now. Is he gonna come? Is he gonna step in? Is he gonna solve this problem for us? Verse 12, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. And the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. So Daniel hears what's going on. And basically what he does is he goes before the king and he begs for more time. um, And the king gives him time. But what's Daniel going to do? Like, is he going to cram? Is he going to hit the books and try to figure out what this dream meant? Is he just going to run? Is he going to try to like just escape and hope that the king won't find him? Um, Is he going to try to make something up about a dream and hope that it was the right thing? Let's see what he does. Verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from God, from the God of heaven, concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So what does Daniel do? Daniel gets together With his friends, and he prays. When stuff hits the fan, Daniel prays. That's his first reaction. He says, Come on, guys, like, we don't have any options left on the table. There's literally nothing we can do to solve this problem ourselves. Like, we're royally screwed. Literally, like, royally screwed because the king is going to kill us. And if we don't figure something out, we're dead. So the last thing we can do, literally the only thing we can do, is come before God and ask Him to solve this problem for us. All right? So that's the passage for tonight. Um, And what I want to do with the rest of our time tonight uh, is just share three things, uh, three truths uh, from this story about prayer. Uh, So if you have your note sheet, there is a section titled, Prayer, Three Truths. So here's the first truth. Prayer is personal. Prayer is personal. You know, a lot of times I think that we bring certain assumptions to the table when we're thinking about prayer. um, And I think one of the things that we tend to forget is that prayer is something that's very personal. Um, I, I think there's a tendency at certain times in our lives to think of prayer like a laundry machine or, like, a pinball machine or something. Like, you put in quarters. Um, if it's not working right, you smack it a few times, and, um, and it works, right? It's like there's this give and take. Like, you do something, and then it works. Like, I give something, and then I get something back. Uh, and we assume that prayer has this long list of prerequisites. Like, maybe on my end, like, I have to be in the right mood, to pray, or or maybe I have to feel super holy, or maybe I have to feel super faith-filled in order to start praying, or maybe I have to be in the right place, whatever that means, or or I have to say the right words to God, or I have to go to the right leader, or I have to wait till the right time, and we make assumptions on God's end as well. It's like, okay, maybe I need to wait till God is not pissed off at me, because I just disobeyed him, and then I'll pray. Or maybe I haven't talked to him in a while. We need to like start with some like small talk before we get to the real stuff that I need to pray about. Um, Or I haven't really done much for him in a while. So we think like, okay, I got to do these things. Maybe I got to start doing good deeds before I pray about this really deep thing that really matters to me. Or I need to have the right attitude or be extra holy or have extreme faith in that moment when I'm praying. And then I'll get my prayers answered. But God is a person, right? God is not a pinball machine. You don't just stick some quarters in and then it works. You don't just stick some good deeds into your life and then God answers those prayer for you. Like God is a person. And more importantly than that, God is a person that really, really loves you. And he loves you where you're at in this moment. So the first rule of prayer, and this is one of your fill-ins, <clears throat> is that prayer begins where we are, not where we think we should be. Prayer begins where we are, not where we think we should be. So you need to know where you're at now. You don't need to figure out where you're going to be one day, right? or where you should be in the future. You just need to know where you're at now. And where you're at now, if you're a believer, is that you're in Christ, Right, that's the deepest part of your identity. And we've been talking about this for the last few weeks, uh, how, how identity is so important. And last week, we saw how Daniel and his friends, they really knew who they were. Right? They were secure in their identity. They were like, even though I live in Babylon, I know uh, I'm part of God's chosen people. I know I'm an Israelite. I know I'm a Hebrew. I know that I'm a child of God. And I'm secure in that. They were secure. They knew who they were, right? And that's where prayer really begins because prayer is a personal relationship. So it begins with knowing your identity. There's this author, Tim Jones, uh, not to be confused with Tom Jones. Um, You know, it's not unusual to be loved by any, you know, the Carlton thing, Fresh Prince. Okay. Um, You don't know? Does someone want to come up here and do it with me? or do it for me, that would be a lot better. No. Ugh. Okay, no. Okay. Okay, I'm going to sing it. I got to do like the full. It's not unusual to be loved by anyone. Okay, there you go. It's done. Um, not that Tom Jones, Tim Jones. He has this book called The Art of Prayer in which uh, he says, no conviction has done more to free me uh, to turn to God than knowing that God wants me. No conviction has done more to free me to turn to God than knowing God wants me. Prayer starts with knowing deep down in your heart that knowing who you are and knowing that God doesn't just love you, but that God actually genuinely wants you. He wants that deep personal relationship with you. That's his desire. Regardless of what sort of mess you are, regardless of whether you have crap in your past, or whether your life is currently a mess right now, knowing that God wants you despite your mess, despite your sin, despite your failures. Have you guys ever seen uh, just a super messy like child when they're eating, you know, like they're eating like spaghetti or something and they have it like in their hair and like on their clothes and it's just nasty uh, and the kid is like, oh, oh, pick, pick me up and um, it's like, who are you, child? I'm not touching you. You're dirty. Um, <clears throat> um, but that is not... That exact reaction is my reaction to some other random child, but that is not how parents react to their kids, right? If a kid that's like a mess is just like, mommy, mommy, or daddy, daddy, mommy or daddy is going to go over to them, maybe wipe some of that stuff off and pick them up, right? And that's how all of us come before our heavenly father. Like we are a mess, we are a snotty-nosed, like drool-on-your-chin, leftovers-on-your-clothes kind of kid that's just saying, like, Daddy, Daddy. And God the Father sees how ugly and, and, and dirty we are, and He picks us up when we call for Him. Why does He do that? Because He loves us. He does it because Christ is making us clean. He does it because we've been accepted in Christ from eternity past. And that's how we come before God in prayer, right? We don't come with any prerequisites, right? We come based on a real, genuine relationship. It's not based on what we do. It's based on what Jesus did for us. So because of Jesus, because of what he did on the cross for you, you're free to have a conversation with him about anything. You're free to just approach him, If you're stuck in exile and you're about to get killed because you don't know the king's dream, bring that to him in prayer, okay? If you're not in a situation like that, but maybe you're at your workplace and your boss is asking you to compromise your integrity, bring that before God in prayer, right? You don't know what to do with your life and what path to take, take that to him. Pray about it. If you're facing uh, temptation in your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, come before the Lord and ask for strength for that. You can literally ask him about anything. You can approach him about anything because you have a real and genuine relationship with him if you are a believer. So you're free to come to him with anything. God is your father, right? And he wants to know what's going on in your life. So the second point, second truth, and this one's good. You guys want to know what it is? Okay, I'm not going to Cover your ears, Jason, because you don't want to know. Um, Here it is. Prayer works. Prayer works. Um, Next week, we have a really awesome speaker coming in, um, which I'm super stoked about. He's never spoken at SOMA before, and it's not Billy Graham. Um, And I don't want to sort of steal his thunder. Um, I don't want to... But... I kind of have to tell you how the story ends. So if you don't want to know, spoiler alert, like careers, um verse 19. It says that during the night the mystery was revealed to Daniel. During the night the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. So he gets the answer to what that dream was. And it seems so simple, but it's a really easy truth to forget. And it's something that we need to be reminded of all the time, that God actually answers prayers. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he just says wait. Um, but whether, regardless of what the answer is, he answers them. Right? He answers the small ones, he answers the big ones, he answers the things that seem impossible, like knowing somebody's dream and what that dream meant. Right? You might need a job, you might need to pass a class, you might need uh, to forgive something, something that just seems impossible. You need to just bring that before the Lord because God actually answers prayers. And it's easy to think like, okay, like, I've been praying about this one particular thing for so long and I haven't gotten anything from him. It, it might be like, I don't even know if prayer works. I've asked for this thing forever. And let me remind you, though, of the truth. Prayer does work. It may not come in the way that you wanted it. It may not come in the timing that you wanted it, but it works. Sometimes um, God blows our mind when he answers prayers. For instance, uh, at World Mandate this week um, weekend, how many of you were there? All right, awesome. So at World Mandate, um, there's a guy named Floyd McClung um, <clears throat> who told a story and. I was stoked that I actually got to see him on Friday night. Um, Anyway, he tells this story. So Floyd, uh, he was working in Amsterdam um, in like the 60s, 70s. He said he was a hippie. He's like 70 years old now. Um, So it's probably in like the 70s. So he was working in Amsterdam. And at the time, Amsterdam was a city just plagued with drugs and with prostitution. And... um, He says that this girl who is working in his ministry uh, came to him, and she's like, I see all this drugs, I see this prostitution, how it's tearing people's lives apart, uh, all that stuff. So I'm going to ask the Lord to bring a drug famine to Amsterdam, just the drugs to run out in Amsterdam. And he's like, that's awesome. Like, I hope that the Lord does that. Let's hope that it happens one day. And he tells a story of not a long time later on the newspaper, um, Remember, this guy's old, so they had newspapers. Um, Sort of like the internet, but on paper, Um, just in case you haven't ever read one. So on on the newspaper, the headline says, Drug Famine in Amsterdam. And his mind is just blown. And and Floyd is this guy who's been all over the world, seen crazy prayers answered. But even for him, it's easy to forget that prayer actually works. There's another story Um, And this is honestly like one of my favorite prayer stories. Uh, And there's a lot of really awesome prayer stories. There's this lady named Helen Rosevere. Um, She was a medical missionary in Africa. And um, she tells a time of this one one night when she was helping to give this mother birth uh, to a child. And sadly, the mom passed away uh, during the birth. And now they were in charge of this tiny premature baby and a two-year-old girl. Um, So Helen tells a story of how she's having this really hard time keeping this premature baby alive. They don't have an incubator. They don't really have the technology or the facilities needed to keep this child alive. Um, and they needed to keep this baby warm. Literally all they had was a uh, rubber water bottle that they could fill with hot water uh, that they would wrap up in, in blankets to try to keep this child warm. So they go to fill up this water bottle and as they're filling it up, it just pops, it bursts. And it's the last one they had. So she thinks, like, it's over. Like, we're screwed. Like, this was the only thing that could have kept this baby alive. And now it's, it's broken. We don't have anything. So she knows all they can do is literally just pray about it. So she tells some of the kids in the orphanage uh, about the situation. And they're like, hey, like, let's pray for the baby. Let's pray for a miracle that God would do something and keep this baby alive. And some ten-year-old girl uh, named Ruth. She she says um, she just starts praying and and she says, "Please, God, send us a water bottle. It'll it'll be no good if it comes tomorrow, God. You know the baby needs it now, so please send it this afternoon." And Helen is like, kind of just like blown away by this girl's audacity to ask for that specific of a prayer that she actually believed that it could happen. Um, and then to top things off the girl is like Lord and please send uh, a little doll for the two year old girl so that she knows that you really love her so this lady thinks like there is absolutely no way that this is going to happen like I've been here for four years and I've never received a care package from back home so uh, partway through the afternoon uh, a package comes and um, guess what's in it raisins Raisins and a uh, brand new rubber water bottle. And to top things off, there was a doll, flipping doll, in that package. Exactly what that girl had prayed for. And the thing was, the package had actually been on its way for five months. It was packed by a former leader at the church who for some reason he thought, I should send a plastic, uh, a rubber water bottle over. I don't know what they're gonna use it for, but I'm gonna send it over. And it's like how crazy that those specific exact things came exactly in the moment that they needed it. That's only something that God could do. It's um, literally an impossible prayer that God answered. And that's something that we need to remember when we're asking for things, maybe it's a salvation of a family member. Maybe it's a struggle that you have that you seem like you can't ever give up. Like you need to remember that God can totally answer impossible prayers. So, so what's the thing that you have that you're like, okay, I don't know God. I've been asking for this forever and I don't see any results. Whatever that thing is, just keep praying for it. Just keep coming before the Lord and asking him to answer those prayers. Third point, truth number three. God will give you whatever you need to stay faithful. God will give you whatever you need to stay faithful. So that's the truth that's at the heart of this story. Daniel and his buddies needed a miracle, not because they wanted to get rich, not because they wanted to get famous, or to be honored by the king. They needed a miracle literally to stay alive. And guess what? God was interested in them staying alive. Why? Because they were his witness, right? God had put them in this foreign land. He had placed them there, right? So so that these guys... be a witness to the fact that they worship the true God. Not not that these other gods have power, not that these other gods actually defeated Yahweh, but that these guys worship the true and living God. Remember verse 11, uh, what it said and how I said it was just so important. It said that no one can reveal dreams. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And the gods don't live among men. It's like God hears this, that no one can do it except the gods and that God doesn't live among men and God hears this and he takes it like a challenge. It's like, oh yeah, like no one can answer this, right? No God lives among his people. Well, guess what? Yahweh lives among his people. I live among my people. Yes, they're under discipline. Yes, they're in exile, but I will never ever abandon my children. So I'm... I can do what these other false gods can't do. I can show them up and just watch me do what no other God can do. Right? And all that to say that Daniel's ability, God is invested in Daniel's ability to tell the king what this dream was. Why? Because God's name was on the line. Because God's glory was on the line. His honor was on the line. And here's the simple truth. God wants you to stay faithful to him. In the midst of of this culture and this world that tries to make us conform to its ways, to switch our identity, and to start looking and thinking and acting like the world, God actually wants us to stay faithful because you're a witness, because you're a witness in Babylon, right? He wants you to show the world that you belong to God, that God is good, That God is better than anything that this world has to offer. So he's interested in you being faithful to the Lord because that shows everyone else that God is better, that he's worthy of honor, that he's worthy of glory, and that he's worthy of fame. So God's not going to let you fall on your face when temptation comes, when his name is on the line. He's not going to let you fall because he loves you and he has your interest in mind as well. So who here um, has parents or has had parents at some point in their life? Anybody? Okay, good. You can relate. Um, So if a parent loves you, they want what's best for you, right? Even though all of our parents are broken, messed up human beings who um, may not actually know how to give you what's best, um, if they're able to, in general... Parents actually want what's best for you, and they try to their best of their ability, given their history, their background, all that stuff, to do what's best, right? God desires what's best for you. God desires you to be faithful to him. So if you lack what you need, if you lack what it takes to be faithful to him and to stick to your identity, God can give you that. It's like, how much more will God, who is perfect, provide for us than our parents who love us and try? They're imperfect. They try. They still want what's best for us. How much more is God who's completely perfect and completely able to do anything? How much more will he provide for us to stay faithful? So whatever you need to stay faithful, God will provide. You just need to bring that before him in prayer. All right? Okay, so you know... Prayer is personal. Prayer works. God will help you to stay faithful. So my question for tonight is: When stuff hits the fan, when there are no other options, is prayer your first reaction? So this morning, um, Brandon calls me at like 9 a.m. and he's like, "I'm sick. Like I don't feel well. I don't think I can preach today." And I'm like, "It's 9 a.m. Like how am I going to come up with a sermon like in a few hours?" Um, so what did I do? I literally just got up as soon as I saw that text and just started praying, like, God, I don't know how to do this. I've never done this in my life. Help me out, please. Um, And that's exactly what, what Daniel did. Daniel was like, I don't know what to do. I've never done this. Nobody has literally ever done this. God, help me out in this moment. I have no power to do that. So do you... Do that? Do you have that same reaction? Or when stuff is hard, do you lean on your own power, your own strength, your own abilities, your intelligence, whatever it is? Or do you turn and take that stuff to God? There's this uh, Polish writer, Isaac Singer, who says, "I only pray when I'm in trouble, but I'm always in trouble, so I'm always praying." Is that you? Are you always in trouble? Not like in a bad way, like you're always messing things up or doing things wrong. But do you realize that you always need God? right? Is that you? If it's not, it's not too late to change that. You just need to come before God in prayer, right? And tell him that you actually don't have stuff figured out, that you don't actually know what you're doing with your life or in this situation. Like whether it's a dating relationship, whether it's trying to get a job, whether it's working through an addiction or maybe some baggage that you have in your past. Have you come before God, and told him, I don't actually have what it takes to figure this out. I need you to help me. Like, whatever it is, whatever it is in life, honestly, like just talking to people, my own life experience, whatever you have in life, that's hard. I promise you, you won't be able to handle it on your own. Like you'll have it for a while. You might have it sort of managed off to the side, but you won't be able to handle it and solve it on your own, without the Lord's power and without the Lord's help. So during this time of worship, and I'm gonna go ahead and call up the band, um, I'm gonna give you some time to just think, is there something in my life that I'm trying to figure out, that I'm trying to solve, that I'm trying to work through, that I actually need to give over to you? What do I need to turn to you, God, that I'm trying to do on my own? And as a band plays, um, I'm actually going to give you guys an opportunity to do what Daniel did. Uh, I'm going to ask you, like, if you feel free, if you feel comfortable, um, to just go to a friend, like Daniel went to his friends. Go to a friend and just ask for a prayer for that thing. Um, we're going to have some life group leaders off to the side, uh, just a couple of them, um, who will be there to pray for you if you want to bring anything to them. But I would just encourage you, Uh, to be just like Daniel in this situation. If you're facing something that you don't know what to do, take that before the Lord. Do that in community. Do that with your friends, people in your life group, or maybe a leader, uh, and ask the Lord to handle what you can't handle. So let me go ahead and pray for us. Father God, um, I just thank you uh, that, that we worship the same God as Daniel did Lord, that we have the same God that we can run to when we don't know what to do. God, that when um, situations are overwhelming or we don't know how to handle things, Lord, that we can trust you. God, that we don't need to have everything figured out. Lord, that we can walk in faith, walk in confidence. Lord, that you are more than capable of leading us through whatever we're facing, Lord. God, and I just pray, uh, even right now, that if there's anything that's blocking us from praying, Lord, if there's any baggage that's keeping us from being honest with you and bringing things to you, or, or being honest with our brothers and sisters or bringing stuff to them in prayer, Lord, I pray that you would break that down, Lord, that you would give us the, f- uh, the freedom that you've earned for us on the cross. Lord, may we walk in that and just walk in confidence as we bring uh, things in prayer to you, Lord. Pray us in Jesus' name. Amen.